every Sunday night, 7:30 Eastern Time, 45 minutes. Strengthen your skills, meet newbies and veterans in the fields. Let's crack data science interview at Clubhouse. So the first chapter to me is very uh, is a very high level uh, touch on all the important topics like the definition of what machine learning is, uh, the use case, uh, the, what kind of situation that machine learning can use and compare with some traditional method uh, like the expert system. Uh, so, and also then, then also after the definition, the author uh, cited um, uh, several uh, types of machine, machine learning systems and distinguish them using different criteria. For example, based on the uh, the the uh, input data, whether it's uh, uh, it's uh, supervised or unsupervised. It's talking about the uh, the, def uh, the de different definition of the the, the different kind of machine learning. Uh, supervised and non-supervised is uh, based on whether we have the labels of the data. And uh, for the batch and online, it's about how we digest the raw data. Whether for uh, for the batch, it's basically you're reading all the data uh, as a batch. And then uh, for online learning, you are take your because of the size limit of the hard disk, you have to uh, feed in only a very small uh, fraction and then learn from there. Uh, then continue uh, feeding the data and then continue uh, building the model and then uh, giving the results. For the instance-based and the model-based, it's uh, using how, how they are uh, I believe uh, that part. Let me see. Or yeah, then the instance based uh, is like if you have a similar case, similar based on the similarity, you deduce that uh, the other case may be the similar. And model based, you basically using model. So those the second part is the types of machine learning systems. Uh, the third part is the main challenges of machine learning. They all um, have one, two, three, four, five, uh, four, four, four problems uh, based on the data. For example, insufficient quality, uh, non-representative training data, poor quality data, or, ir or ir irrelevant features. They are all the data side problem. For the for the um, then the overfitting and underfitting of the training data is talking about the mo model itself. Right. And uh, and also they and the last part is talking about how how you uh, test and validate the model, uh, how you separate the data. Uh, mostly we take um, most of the case there are one one way is to take eighty percent of your raw data as the training data and twenty percent left hold hold out as the testing, uh, but also this uh, other method using the validation, uh, uh, cross-validation. You hold out, uh, I think it's like 60, 20, 20, 60 uh, percent of the uh, 
broad it has the training data and 20% for cross-validation and 20% for testing. Okay, so this is a very quick recap of what I have learned. And there are a lot of uh, important concepts. Uh, for the first one, the, the best, uh, the most uh, impressive one is how they define the machine learning. On page four, they have given us a very uh, simple but uh, in, a very uh, vivid way of defining what is machine learning. It says it is a computer program to learn from experience E with respect to some task T in some performance measure P. Uh, if its performance is on target T, uh, as measured by the performance, improves with experience E. So uh, for that, um, the experience E is, what I'm talking about is the historical data that we are, we are trying to develop a model on. Uh, the task T is, is whether the target what what the objective of your project is? Whether to, for example, for for they uh, for the spam email is to recognize flag the spam emails to identify whether it's spam or non-spam. So it's uh, more uh, uh, um, the classification problem, right? And for sometimes you. Uh, the other example uh, in the book is the prediction of house prices based on their location market and uh, uh, local uh, parameter. That is a very typical uh, regression problem. Then they also give you some very basic, uh, for the definition of machine learning, also they have a very important uh, 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 definition of some some critical uh, concepts like the training instances or sample uh, the uh, attribute or uh, the attribute or feature in uh, yeah or feature and the like so as for the for the first definition of the machine learning. And uh, for, for the why to use the machine learning, um, it actually give you example uh, uh, by the figure one dash one is the traditional approach. Uh, and uh, when you compare figure one dash one and one dash two, you can, you can see that uh, using machine learning, you don't have to write rules. The rules were uh, subject to an expert. Uh, it's limited by their uh, experience, knowledge, and maybe if your raw data changes, the rule changes. So it's very, uh, you have to adapt to the raw data. So that, that's not, that will be very complicated model and it's not error proof. It's, it's always changing when, when your spam email, uh, the rule of the spam email changes uh, some human will need to write new rules, right? So that's not very uh, simple. Uh, machine learning is very good at it because 
when you give the 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 machine at the computer the raw data, uh, it will try to uh, to fit a model. Once the model is fit, uh, it will uh, give you the analytical results, the evaluation solution. So no human intervention in it. It's just learning from the data by the model. Um, here, um, the, the good part, as you mentioned, the good part of machine learning is no intervention here. What if there is some business rules that we would like to have some intervention? Um, in some part of the data or decision making pro progress. Oh, sorry, Eva, uh, I didn't hear the whole, whole sentence. Can you repeat it? Oh, yeah. Uh, you just uh, mentioned the, the good part. Uh, the beauty of uh, machine learning is that it has no human intervention. Everything is dis uh, decided by machine. Uh, what if in real business use case, uh, uh, for some features or for, for some business rules, we hope it has a human intervention uh, decided by um, decided arbitrary. Um, what what's uh, is there is this book mentioned that how could we deal with this situation? Can you uh, cite an example for what case that you have to write a rule? I mean, you can write a rule all the time because it's a traditional approach, but uh, machine learning tends not to write any rules. They want you to learn from the data directly by developing the model. Mm, yeah, I just curious, how could we Combine the human, uh, human interaction intervention with machine learning model. If there is some use case here, well, the I mean, the, there's the the learn from data. The quote to quote learn from data is not actually human. Uh, it's it's it still need people's endeavor. For example, you have to develop. Uh, to select the right model, when you see the target is, for example, it's classification of emails, then you will use certain models like the uh, logistic regression. Uh, but if you are, it depends depending on the problems, right? So it gave us um, less, I would say, less human intervention. If you know what type of problem it is. Uh, then you will use the right groups of models to develop. Then, of course, based on your experience, you may you may also have the human intervention when you're trying to, uh, you don't know what data to collect. Then you have to uh, choose the relevant feature. That's the major challenges of machine learning, uh, that sometimes we get a lot of the irrelevant features, right? And then it's garbage in, garbage out. Uh, so th that, with that, I'm saying that still uh, people need to focus on more on collecting the right data, but leave the model itself to deal with the precise, oh, the accurate. Can you speak English? 
How are you? Hi, uh, can you please introduce yourself? Uh, my name is Parvez. I'm from Afghanistan. I'm the line of Afghanistan. Hi, Parvez. Hi, Parvez. We are having the discussion about hands-on machine learning. Is that the topic you are interested? Uh, machine is very beautiful thing. <laughs> Oh yeah, thank you. Um, Joseph is giving us uh, the talk right now. Uh, if uh, uh, you have my my speak is Edomadora journey. My speak is continuing. Please, uh, my time is very fast. Yeah, <laughs> mute yourself. Uh, uh, yes, yes. My name is Parvez. I'm from Afghanistan and I'm the lion of Afghanistan. <laughs> Hi, Parvez. So, do you want to. Oh, uh, sorry. Yeah, I, I think uh, Parvez uh, uh, is not ready to talk. Uh, okay. Yeah. All right. All right. So, for, for this part, uh, I'm still back to the topic. I'm mean, saying that uh, we are still. Uh, need our experience on on selecting the model and then uh, keep the raw data uh, clean, clean the data. Uh, actually, I remember when I read this chapter, it said many data scientists are actually are focusing 80%, almost 80% of their time on cleaning the data, which is true <laughs> based on my experience. Thank you, Joseph. Uh, um, it's a very um, comprehensive uh, summary about the first chapter. Um, do you still have anything you want to add, or do you want to open for questions? Uh, before open the questions, I, I will say that this I was uh, in this forty five minutes. I may not be able to get into the deep. Uh, concepts like uh, some of the uh, nuances between the uh, like hyperparameters, but those things don't worry. Those things will be covered in the following chapters. The authors is just wanting to uh, to uh, touch base on every important fund fundamental concepts. Uh, if you don't really understand some of the concepts, it's okay. They will. I believe they will cover them in the future chapters. Sounds great. Thank you, Joseph. Yeah, I was wondering the same thing as well. Um, so, yeah, um, try if we even guys have any question for Joseph, or do you like to share if you have read the first chapter? Uh, sorry. So, Eva, what's your question? Oh, I just asked uh, if anyone in the audience would like to ask a question for this chapter to you, or uh, they would like to share any thoughts about this first chapter. Hi, guys. 
Okay, can I, can I speak? Yeah, sure, go ahead, Ivan. However, uh, long time no see, and uh, thank you, Joseph. Uh, thank you for thank you for sharing the the first chat chapter. Actually, uh, there are huge huge work after chapter chapter one. So uh, I I want to I want to know about your future plan future plan about the uh, about the subsequent subsequent the uh, subsequent subsequent chapters. Because actually, this is a really, really good book, and um, there was uh, there there was there are there are some basic concepts that we we can use in the real world in in the in in, in our work, and oh and also some some coding tricks. So oh, I will I would like to ask how about your future plan about how to go on with our 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 future future chapters. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Ivan. So actually, we covered last time, uh, last Sunday, that uh, we will, our pace is like we want to finish one chapter per week. Uh, but as I said at the beginning, it depends on our feedback. So if everyone think one chapter a week is too fast, we can uh, pause a little bit and then slow it down. Mm, uh, but I would say we aim to finish this uh, book club. May not be the whole book, but we want to finish this book club uh, in four months time. Because I don't think if we uh, make this too long, then it's exaggerated half a year or even a year. I don't think people can commit this long time. Uh, and also this book club is only a 45 minutes. So due to the time constraint, we may not be able to discuss some very uh, technical details on each of them. So what I want to do is that every time next next week, uh, either me or someone can volunteer to summarize, taking like 15 to uh, 15 minutes or 20 minutes to summarize what you have learned this chapter in a high level. And then this, the next section, like section two, is to ask some of the questions uh, to or you have any ideas or you have any comments you can share or something when you after reading you got very good idea to share with us so that that's the that's the purpose so basically i know that you all have the book that you can read at your home but the book club is a place that you can share your idea encourage each other to go go for further it's like a teamwork because uh, that's the purpose that, right? You already have the book, you can learn. I believe everybody is very intelligent. You all can follow your own pace. But here for this book club is to help each other to stick to the plan and go further. This is like, uh, think about we are a team of climbing a mountain, right? So whenever we step uh, down, someone can, uh, can, can stretch out their hand and pull somebody up. And if someone has difficulties, you can post your questions on the Google group. And then I will try my best to answer. If I don't know, some, someone else can also post the answer, you, you know. So it's a helping platform. You, so you can, anytime you can uh, post your question on the Google group.
All right, I see. I see why you guys are all were sending e emails. So may I may I, may I join the Google Google group? Thank you. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you have to uh, first you send me an email. Uh, send me your your email so I can add you into the group. Okay. Email. Gmail. Okay. Gmail. Okay. I will send it in our WeChat group. Thank you. Any other questions regarding chapter one? Uh, I just wanted to make a note. This is Charles here. Uh, for chapter, sorry, it's not chapter one, but I think it's um, for chapter two, there's a reference to Appendix B, which is the machine learning project checklist. And I think this checklist is also very valuable. So I was wondering uh, if we want to go through the checklist as well, and would it be part of the next meeting? Yeah, we will we will cover uh, we will go to chapter two next for the next meeting and hopefully we can finish it. Oh yeah, this is a, a very good appendix, uh, and uh, it uh, it mainly tell us what's the main steps of the machine learning and uh, how to work, how to uh, uh, how to deploy it in in your pro in your project. So I I. So you, if you guys is just you just add add work and you can you can review here and and find it whether uh, how how about this suggestion it works in your in, 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 uh, when when you when you were when you were working. Thank you. Well, uh, I just hope that um, everyone can stick to the plan and enjoy every time uh, because you know we won't like postpone and wait for others because because people not coming and showing on and off uh, we can procrastinate otherwise we will never finish a book uh, so uh, at least I will try my best to finish chapter two uh, and uh, every one of you who are really motivated to seriously learn, uh, I suggest you also to uh, keep the pace and uh, keep up the pace and study it. Uh, but it's all by your passion if you want to really study it together. Uh, so I know it's a very uh, good part, but you need also effort to pour in your time and energy to really uh, to learn from them. And also because it's using Jupyter Notebook, so uh, I also posted the, in the Google group the GitHub of this book, so you can, if you don't have time to go through all the codes, you at least you uh, skim through all the uh, codes and then you know what they are talking about. Because this book is a hands-on book, means a lot of codes you need to learn. Uh, for for last week, there are someone who don't who are not even good at uh, python it's fine and also i put two python books in the uh, google group so if you want to refresh your mind including me sometimes i need to refresh my mind of the python code so you can uh, also reference the two python books thank you Joseph.
really like uh, uh, how you organize uh, this uh, uh, material, this materials and book reading. Uh, and and uh, I'm, I hope I can keep the pace with you and learn in this process. Definitely, I will learn a lot and uh, we will learn a lot together. I'm just curious, so for next week's discussion, um, will you people leading the discussion or you will think other people can join to lead? Uh, are you asking me? Oh, yes, I'm asking you. Oh, yeah, of course, I will join next time. Um, would you like to keep leading next time as well? Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. It will be very nice. Uh, and uh, thank you so much for uh, taking the initiative and uh, make the plan happen. No problem. Yeah. For this, for this time, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with some basic uh, topics. For example, let me ask you, can you uh, tell the difference between uh, the, uh, let me see, hold on. Uh, what are the two most common supervised learning tasks? Anyone can answer. The classification and uh, and the cl and uh, the clustering. Am I right? Uh, actually, it's a regression. Uh, classification oh, and regression. Oh. Okay, I see. Ah, yeah. okay, I see where it is. Yeah, supervised. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. So people may maybe uh, yeah it is uh, okay because they are talking about a lot of differences uh, the categories right supervised learning and unsupervised learning first this is a big divide uh, for for the dif big difference is that supervised learning they tell you which one is right which one is wrong like in Figure one five they already labeled you which emails are spam and which are not spam. But for unsupervised learning, you are basically not knowing who is the bad guy, who is the good guy. They're just clustering, as you said, uh, different uh, using different algorithms to, uh, you know, to cluster people. Uh, that's a big difference. And for my question is in more on the supervised learning part, and that's most. Uh, projects, I would say, will start with the supervised learning. And for uh, other, like uh, the reinforced learning or the other semi-supervised, uh, I, I never did that before, to be honest. But they are, they are very powerful. Like the reinforced learning is the uh, AlphaGo, and uh, the uh, semi-supervised learning is to figure out who is who in a bunch of photos. Uh, they, are, they are more uh, different. But most cases, I would say, if you know uh, supervised and unsupervised learning, and there are major algorithms in it, uh, that will be very it's, uh, sufficient for beginners.
Okay, and also if you look at uh, page nine, there are some of the most common supervised learning algorithms. K nearest neighbors, linear regression, logistic regression, support vector machines, decision tree, and random forests, and neural networks. I would say all all of those are very common and very uh, very important. For unsupervised learning, we use clustering, especially k-means, and uh, the other two like HCA or expectation maximization. I, I'm not very familiar. To be honest. And for the dimensional reduction, of course, PCA, the principal component analysis, and other variation like kernel PCA and the TSNE. Uh, but I would say if you you know K-means and PCA, I would say that's best for the beginners. For the others, you may not postpone later. That's also only based on my experience. Okay. Uh, for let me see. Yeah. I use the batch for the batch or online learning. Uh, most of my time using the batch learning. For the online learning, I would say mostly it's for production line that you use mini batches, but it's it's more production. Um. Yeah, yeah. From our uh, our company also use batch learning, um, offline learning to build the model, um, and then if we want to have it to have it as a real time prediction, we have it on online learning. Yep, that's right. And also last time I remember uh, uh, Colin mentioned a challenge in his machine learning uh, that he has low precise, uh, not precise, uh, he has low uh, accuracy and then that's very likely because of the quality of the training data. Because uh, of in one, the figure 120 it said that basically if you have a lot of high quality data uh, no matter what model you pick, they will be all, all very accurate. That's a very interesting uh, paper that I, I know, okay, actually the data quality is so important. It's even more important than how, how you choose the model. So the rule of thumb is that before you building your any of the fancy models, check the data. That's my experience too. Check if your data makes sense first, and also the range, if there's any outliers, and if there are any even not the same data type. For example, you, you want a column with all, all integers, but you see all of them are, uh, are strings, right? You have to convert them first into integer. Um, yeah, there are, there are also uh, like sampling. They mentioned the bias in the election that people just uh, pick the high, cl uh, high wealthy class people uh, and then eventually uh, make it the wrong, uh, wrong decision. Right. So when we are uh, sampling, we are sampling the data from a big 
group and make sure it is the fair collection of sample. For this, maybe Charles can give us more understanding because Charles is a statistician and you may know different sampling methods, right? Uh, yes, yeah, so it's certainly um, there's a lot of interest in doing something more than just um, simple random sampling is the most uh, common type. Um, but there's also, so that would be you have a population and you just try to sample um, observations independently from that population. So um, not doing anything fancy. Imagine you have a big uh, jar of balls and maybe some of the balls are blue and some are red, but you just grab balls. You don't care if it's red or blue, you're just grabbing them from the jar. But there's also stratified sampling where let's say the um, there you have a group in your population that's much less common. And usually if you just did simple random sampling, uh, they would be there be very rare in your sample. And, and this uh, happens in real life, uh, say with rare diseases. If you want to collect, do a study about a rare disease, but you just um, surveyed people completely at random, you may need a lot of people just to get even one person with that disease. Uh, so stratified sampling is where you uh, break the population into, dif into different groups, which are called strata. And then within each strata, you sample a certain amount um, of observation. So it could, again, with a jar with two different colors, red and blue, you could say, my sampling plan is to sample 100 red and 100 blue. And so that way you can guarantee that you get a certain number of, of the group that may be um, hard to uh, sample uh, if you just did simple random sampling. And then besides that, um, there's also uh, something called active learning uh, where you can actually look for, um, so active learning happens when you have, uh, usually in machine learning, when you have a lot of unlabeled data, like think you have a lot of documents from the web and you're trying to classify them into, um, say, uh, the topic. Well, you can have people, experts, go and label them, but it's very expensive. So you don't have the whole data set labeled. Uh, but you can, if you happen to know uh, which documents would be the most useful to label for your model, then the goal of active learning is to have a method that can automatically identify which unlabeled examples would be the most helpful to give to, say, a human expert to label. So this is kind of interesting because I think it might be kind of related to um, Ava's question of how do you also have uh, combined machine learning with human intervention? So active learning could be one example where the ideal case is to have a human label everything. But since that's too expensive, now you can use machine learning to help the human decide which things to label. Hmm. That's very interesting. Thank you, Charles. And that active learning, uh, is it a semi-supervised learning? 
Yes, that's right, Joseph. It's it's definitely used in semi-supervised settings where you have okay. some labeled and usually a lot of unlabeled data. Okay, cool. Thank you for the uh, supplementation. Hey, so, do, hey, Eva, are we able to uh, go on to 8.30? Oh, yeah, sure. Feel free to stay as long as you wish. Okay, yeah, right now it's actually already over, but uh, if you want to stay and discuss more topics, you're more than welcome to. We have until 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Is that a question for me or it's a question for the audience? Uh, no, it's just uh, anyone who have read the book uh, or you have any unclearness of our discussion, you can raise your concern or questions. Um, I do not have question yet. I really like uh, um, how Chinese give uh, the example from his uh, experience. Um, and uh, yeah, well, I think it's a good start. I would love to learn the code. Mm -hmm. Great. Okay, I just have a question. So since you don't have ask, I have a question about the validation. Uh, that's the last part of chapter one. They called that uh, cross uh, the validation uh, what do you call it? So you launch the problem but unfortunately uh, launched into production but it does not perform as well. Uh, you measure the generalization error multiple times on the test set and you adapt the model to hyperparameters to produce a better model for that set. This means the model is unlikely to, to perform as well on new data. Uh, I'm not very clear about why people want to use the uh, holdout set called the validation set. Say you have 80% of the training data and train to train your model. Once the model is trained, you will test on the 20% holdout, right? And they said that actually, uh, if you launch your model, uh, into production, unfortunately, it does not perform as well as, as expected and produces 15% errors. What just happened? They said that because you're, is that you measured the generali generalization error multiple times on the test set, and you adapt your model and hyperparameters to produce the best model for that test set. So basically what I understand is that when the test set is uh, is used, right? It is used to adjust your model. Yeah, to adjust your hyperparameters model. Then your test set is only your model is only good for the test set. So it's not good for any new data set. That's why we have to hold out another set called a validation set. That validation set is only used to tune your hyperparameters. Is that right? Uh, Ava, do you want to comment? Uh, you can go first, Charlie. 
Okay, thank you. So, yeah, this is this is actually a very important question, and I don't know if it will go into more detail in the rest of the book, but I mean, one way to look at it maybe is to try it out. Uh, so, another another way to understand this better is like let's say let me give an example like let's say i claim that um i can i can predict the stock market so what i'm going to do is that i have um you have five different experts who say they can predict the stock market okay and then you're going to evaluate them on let's let's call it a test set which is, uh, let's say the, the way you do it is you show them, okay, all these experts say looking at a stock, the trajectory of its prices, they can predict what's going to happen in the next month. Like you give them 10 months, they can predict the next month. Okay, so each of them, you give them 10 months of a stock and you ask them, okay, what's going to happen the next month? And then the next month you evaluate, each of them makes a prediction and sends it to you. And then you wait a month to see what happens, right? Now you're gonna, presumably you're gonna pick the expert who made the best prediction. Um, but let's say you have a way of measuring how good their prediction is. Like um, they were 90%, one of the experts was 90% correct for the month that you're testing them on. Then, then the question is, how well is that expert gonna be how, how good is that prediction going to be the month after? So not the month that you tested everyone on and selected the expert, but the following month, which is a totally new data. So if you think about this problem, it's um, if the expert, the, the problem is that the expert who won may not have won just because they are the best at predicting the stock market, they have may have won because they are lucky just for that one month. And then that no longer applies to the following month. So this, this is just an example. And um, the analogy is that if you have, let's say now you have five different models with different hyperparameters. And then you pick the model that did the best on your holdout. Well, that model may have succeeded not because it's the best model out of the five, but because it was lucky just for your holdout. And then if you test it on another data set, then it's not going to be, it, it's actually very likely to decrease. And in fact, the more models you have, the more the best model will have inflated performance on your holdout. And, and the, to understand this, just think back to the example. The more stock market experts you have, the more likely it is that one of them will get really, really lucky at predicting what's going to happen. And then it's not, so So I guess the fundamental thing is not to think of it like using the holdout makes your algorithm worse. It's actually that if you have a lot of models, then this inflates the performance of the best model on the holdout without necessarily improving how well any model does on the 
truly independent test set that you use on, on new data. Okay, got it. Thank you very much for the explanation. Yeah, I hope that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense to me. Yeah, thank you, Charles. It's, it's very interesting. For uh, for you guys, you know the difference between parameter and hyperparameters. That's more basic than this, <laughs> than than that. Is hyperparameter we select uh, selected by uh, select? Also, hyperparameter is in the model of model. Building process, uh, we select the best best parameter to uh, build the model, and the parameter is. Uh, I'm not quite sure. Do you have a answer? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Actually, hyperparameter is something that we want to regularize our model. For example, if you learn later, uh, for the linear regression. We, we normally will see uh, it's overfitting or underfitting. Then if it is uh, too complex, mainly overfitting is that your data is uh, simple, but you have a very uh, complex model, then it will be overfit your data. It will have very bad generalization. Uh, you have a bigger generalization error. So in that case, you want to, uh, one way, for you is to develop a hyperparameter. That hyperparameter will uh, under uh, to uh, will penalize uh, your model, make it uh, less complex. So it's it's something to uh, adjust your model. It's not uh, based on the data you have. But for the parameter, it's just uh, like uh, the linear regression. You have, uh, for example, y equals uh, theta one plus theta two x, right? Those theta one, theta two are uh, are based on your regression, so it's uh, based on your data. So the parameters are de determined by the data, but the hyperparameters are decided by uh, your model, your purpose. Okay, I think uh, we are about time is up. Thank you, everybody, for this is a very interesting discussion, and I hope everyone likes. The discussion so far, and uh, we will see you next week. Thank you, Joseph. Thank you, everyone, for joining today's discussion. Thank you. I can almost see it that dream I'm dreaming, but there's a voice inside my head saying, You'll never reach it. Every step I'm taking, every move I make feels lost with no direction. My faith is shaken, but I, I gotta keep trying, gotta keep my head held high. There's always gonna be another mountain. 
Sometimes I knock me down, but no. 